0: Cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Again, the presence of God was so important. To his people. And now as we begin the book of Numbers. As Numbers begins. We see the people of God. They're still there. They're still at the base of Mount Sinai. But now they're preparing. They're getting ready to embark on the next phase of that journey. To to embark upon the promises that God has promised them. A land and descendants that would outnumber the stars. Let me give you a disclaimer this morning before we move forward. Sometimes we're in movie theaters, we get that disclaimer, right? There's coke out front, silence your cell phones. Here's my disclaimer this morning. This message may prick your heart. I hope and pray that it does. As I've looked at it, as I've studied it, it's pricked my own heart. And I have sought to preach to myself before I'm bringing this to you this morning, good preachers they do that—they preach to themselves first. But I pray that the Lord would work and soften our hearts to prick us this morning as we look at this book. So let's let's ask that to would us pray, Father. I pray that You would help us now, help us to be attentive listeners, and Lord, I pray for soft hearts. Lord, would You soften the hearts of Your people this morning? Would we we be open? hear your word, and Father, even if it tricks a little, would you help us to see it as for our good and and your glory, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. The first point I want us to see this morning is this, God continues to do his part in relationship to his people. That would be my summary of the first ten chapters of the book of Numbers. God continues to do His part. He is faithful to His people. He provides them with priests. He gives them instructions for, for how the priests are to operate. And He is present with His people. In the very first chapter of the book, He instructs Moses to lead the people in taking a census of all the able-bodied men who are able to help them get into the promised land, right? We know it's not going to be easy. God's going to be with them, but they will have to battle in order to enter the land. This is why the book is called Numbers, because we see this assessment of men who are able to serve. And so we get one census here in chapter 1, and we see another one in chapter 26. The Levites, they're excluded from this. They're not taken into account with the census, because they have the very important task of maintaining the tabernacle. They've got to protect it from intruders and follow all the instructions related to it that God gives. His presence, again with His people, is absolutely essential to their success. Also in these first chapters, we find the Aaronic blessing that may be familiar to some of you. A beautiful blessing in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers 6 verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What? Hope. What promise, right? God cares about the well-being of His people this language requesting the face of the Lord to shine upon His people. It's a request that God's favor be extended to His people. I just want to pause here this morning and just hear that today as the people of God. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about us. He's deeply concerned with our specific circumstances. He fully knows them. And He desires to bless us. He wants to protect us, to watch over us to shower us with His grace. This is true of us as a church. It's Cornerstone Baptist Church. He desires to bless us. He desires our well-being and success. His definition of, it, of success, at times it might be different from ours. But He's for us. He's with us. And He's going to get us home. As we've talked about before, we talk about a lot. That's what the church is for, right? He uses us, one another, in our lives to help get us home. Do you believe that this morning? are you resting there? brother sister be reminded again this morning God is for you in Christ. In the middle of chapter 10 the book of numbers we see the people set out they leave camp. it's time to move and they proceed proceed north towards this promised land. They set out with the purpose of seeing God fulfill His promises. Again, He promised to bless them, to give them a land and numerous descendants to Abraham. And yet, very shortly after we see them set out, we see them complain. You would think that there should be excitement, anticipation, joy as they're about to embrace the promises that God's made to them. And they quickly complain. They quickly complain dissatisfied. The second point, the people of God fail to do their part in response to His faithful provision. He provides, He prepares, He's faithful, and yet they demonstrate a failure to trust in Him. Chapters 11 through 16. These are the wanderings, the wilderness wanderings in these chapters. The first complaint we see here is a general one concerning trials. Numbers 11, starting in verse 1. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died died down. So the name of that place was was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So just a general complaint concerning trials. Then the second one has to do with the manna, the food that God has provided that they've gotten tired of. Numbers 11.4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. On the surface, a food complaint, right? But yet, the complaint is deeper than that. They're dissatisfied with God. They're dissatisfied with what He has provided for them. They want to go back to the pleasures that were there in Egypt. And then if that's not enough, we see a protest of the leadership God's provided. In Numbers 12, Numbers 12, 1, Miriam and Aaron there speak against Moses. They spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he, who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So the objection here may have been racial in nature. Cush was a reference in the Scriptures to ancient Ethiopia. And so that may have been what was going on here. And some commentators i read say, you know, it may have been related to that, but, but it may have just been pretense. They may have just not liked that Moses was in a position of authority over them. And I think, as we think about our own lives, how, how true that can be at times. In our pride and sin, we just don't like the authority that God has blessed us with. Then following this, as the spies search out the land, a land that does, they confirm it, it's, it's flowing with milk and honey, but their report back doesn't demonstrate faith in God's provision. Instead, they demonstrate again a failure to trust Him. In chapter 14, verse 1, we see complaining about their circumstances. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. So in each of these examples, we see complaining, grumbling, right? Complaining and grumbling that's similar in our lives as well, right? They complain about things that we complain about at times. We don't approve of the trials that God brings into our lives. Our food, the very Word of God that He's given to us, preserved for us, at times... It's not enough to satisfy us, right? We want something else. Give us something more relevant or more entertaining. We resist the leadership that God gives to us and places in our lives as a blessing. And we long at times for circumstances to change. Oh, if things could just be different, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. Well, my third point is this: despite the unfaithfulness on the part of the people of God, He remains faithful. He demonstrates both justice and mercy. God remains faithful despite their unfaithfulness, and He extends justice and mercy. That would be my summary of 17 through 20, or excuse me, 36. Now they have moved out of the wilderness. They're moving further, closer toward the land. And they're there in the plains of Moab. They're close. Those, those last 15, 20 chapters or so, 17 through 26, they're close to the promised land. But they're not quite there yet. And they see the justice and the mercy of God. At the end of chapter 14, jumping back just a little bit, but I think this is helpful to, to remember and realize, especially as we think about His mercy, we see a similar statement about God's character that we saw in Exodus 34. Numbers 14, 18, we get this. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but He will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. A statement about the mercy and grace of God but as we go through these chapters, there's also significant judgment. We see judgment in the book of Numbers. The people have to wait 40 years prior to entering the land promised them. By the time we finish Numbers, when we get to 36, they're still not quite there. They're close, but they're not quite there. Moses doesn't get to enter the land. And thousands upon thousands die in route to the promised land. We see judgment. That may to you sound harsh. But remember, apart from judgment, mercy is not mercy, right? God is merciful and His mercy is amazing because He's a God who is willing and executes justice. In Numbers chapter 21, we see an example of unfaithfulness on the part of the people of God. We see His judgment and ultimately... We seek His mercy. And we're going to spend a little time here. I want to focus in here uh, as we think about the book of Numbers as a whole. Numbers t- chapter 21, starting in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against Mo against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone, when he is bitten, who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Again, complaining, groaning, we see on the part of the people. And we see the irrational nature of it. Isn't that true of us sometimes as well that our complaint, our groaning, it's, it's irrational? There is no food. We love this food. It's not a lack of provision. There's just not content in what has been provided. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't know that I've always had this in the category of sin. Okay, sure, you know, complaining is not the best. It's best to be positive and optimistic as we face situations, as we go about life. But sin? Complaining? Is sin? It's something I need to confess? I need to turn from? We see here, not only does the Bible express a complaining, grumbling, discontent heart as sinful. But we see the deep seriousness of this sin. We might think of the biting of poisonous snakes as, as right and appropriate for something like genocide, sexual immorality, some overtly gross destructive sin. But here we see the danger of a discontent and complaining heart. In light of this seriousness, and the numerous times in the book of Numbers that we see the people of God complain, and also what Paul says about these passages in 1 Corinthians 10, I think, that, as uncomfortable as may be, we need to settle here a little bit and just spend some time wrestling with, Lord, what is behind a complaining spirit, a discontent heart? Let me read a few verses there in 1 Corinthians 10, because I think this is really helpful as we look back at these passages in Numbers. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, says this, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them, God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Did you catch this? Christ was present with the people of God in the Old Testament. They drank from the rock. The rock was Christ. Moses struck the rock. He struck Christ. And he he did not enter the land promised to God's people. Then in verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And then jumping down to verse 9, We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. They took place for us, for us to learn from, to look at their example. Paul says it happened for our benefit so that we who know Christ would trust in Christ. Ultimately, discontentment is an indication that God is not enough for you. Discontentment indicates that God is not enough for you, and that He's not enough for me. Consider this irrationality: the God of the universe, who created the stars and the moon and the seas and holds everything together, He's inadequate—at least in, in our mind, minds sometimes, times—to satisfy the needs, the longings of our hearts. A complaining spirit gives evidence to a lack of gratitude. And where there's a lack of gratitude, there's often the presence of pride. Counselor and author Paul Tripp, he often makes reference to God as the one who's writing out the story of our lives. He's the one holding the pen. And essentially what grumbling and complaining says to God is, is, you know, God, if You would just give me the pen for a little while, if I was the one writing the story, it would be better. I wouldn't include this chapter or that chapter. That's what we say to God. But a grateful, humble heart recognizes the blessings and the provisions of God, endures during the trying times, and gives us thanks, praises God, and says, thank You, God, that you're the one who's writing the story. It's not always easy in the moment, but hopefully as we look back, we can say, thank you, God. Lord, I praise you that you wrote that chapter. Maybe not in the moment I fully saw what you were doing, but I'm glad you're the one holding the pen. That's a grateful, humble heart. The seeds of discontent, they block us from seeing the things we do have, what God has provided the ways He has been faithful, and instead we only focus on what we don't have. We also see here in this passage, the Numbers 21 verses I read, we see the mercy of God. We gain a glimpse of, 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 of the only remedy for our sinful hearts. Right? We see a glimpse of what God is going to provide for us here. The Lord tells Moses, take a bronze serpent and set it up on a pole. The word here for bronze would also mean copper. It would have had a reddish tint to it. So so here you've got a snake the color of blood lifted up for the people of God to gaze upon. Now consider this. Christ is the one lifted up, right? He's the one lifted up on the cross. His blood is what is poured out for our atonement. The copper serpent here Foreshadows Christ being lifted up on the cross. And when our Father looked upon the cross, He did not see the spotless Lamb of God. No, for those few dreaded hours, He saw a sinful serpent who bore the sins of the world. In John 3, 14 and 15, we get this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. As Christians, we believe Christ was also lifted up out of that grave and He ascended to the right hand of the Father. The serpent was the one crushed and buried. The Lamb of God is the one who was raised. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, this is what we believe about Jesus. He was the serpent on the cross and the Lamb of God that was raised. Jesus came and took upon Himself human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the Roman cross. We believe His death paid for the sins of all who repent and believe in Him. And we believe He didn't remain in the grave. He was resurrected. He was raised. And that demonstrated that sin and death had been defeated. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father Almighty. Friend, if you're here and you don't believe, if you would believe and you would turn from your sin, you can be saved. Discontentment results when we fail to keep this focus vertically. When, When we fail to keep our eyes here and we start looking out here. When we take our eyes off the vertical, when we take our eyes off Jesus, and we start focusing on the horizontal, my circumstances, how's it going for me? How's it going for that person over there? It seems better. The grass seems a little bit greener over there. That's discontentment. We look at the horizontal. We get focused horizontally. When our eyes remain focused on God and His kingdom and His agenda and the reality that He's all that we need, then then we realize He's enough. But when we take our eyes off of Him and look at these other things, that's when discontentment starts to fester. And friends, it's a breeding ground for other sins. It doesn't stop there. It leads to lust and jealousy and envy and covetousness and pride and idolatry. A content heart doesn't wander in search for satisfaction. But a discontent heart does. There's a constant surge, a constant nagging and longing to fill a void that only God can fill. When we're unsatisfied with the place where God has us, we begin to question Him. We grumble. We start to take things in our own hands. We try to make things happen. We depend on our own self-sufficiency. We may try to speed things up instead of waiting on the Lord's pace. And again, this is pride. And we know what God thinks about pride. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The author of Hebrews instructs us to look to Jesus. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, where are you looking this morning? Where are you finding your strength? Where are you finding your joy, your satisfaction, your contentment? Look to Jesus. Look and live. Look and find life. Look and be satisfied. Look and let go of that sin that clings so closely. Look and be healed. Look and experience forgiveness. Look and delight. Look and eat and drink. Look and suffer. Look and endure. Look and wait. Look to Jesus. You may be sitting there this morning and thinking, okay, I'm there. I've been there in recent weeks, months, so help. What do I do? And if this is an accurate diagnosis for you this morning, I would encourage you to spend time grieving over your discontent heart, Repent and give thanks to God for how He has provided and has blessed you. Renew your commitment with His help to trust and to wait on Him. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2, that we read earlier this morning, Do all things without grumbling or questioning not some things, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation. And then in Philippians 4, we we get these familiar verses from Paul. Again, Paul writing from prison here. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And based on this context here, I think we could appropriately say, I can do all things without grumbling through Christ who strengthens me. Holly has a little poster in our, our bedroom. I think a good friend gave her and it says, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. Not a direct scripture verse, but based on what I just read here from Philippians, you can see the biblical wisdom there, right? Bloom where you are planted. Rand, if you're here this morning and you're frustrated and you're discontent with where God has you, but He's not clearly opened another door or closed the door, then bloom. Bloom where you are. Ask Him to help you bloom where you are. If you're in a difficult relationship, that relationship is not your life. God is your life. And He can help you. As you change and you trust Him, you can change that relationship. You can change that work situation. I realize there may be somewhere it's so bad you just have to get out of But if it's not, Lord, help me to bloom here. Help me to flourish here and influence the others here. Bloom where you are in your ministry. Charles Simeon, uh, an Anglican pastor in in England there, he lived from 1759 to 1836, is a great example of of just that. Blooming where you are planted. Enduring suffering. I encourage you maybe get a biography on him read more about his life. His conversion story is amazing. I don't have time to cover it this morning. But here's the point I did want to make related to his life. he The Lord worked to call him to the church where he served 54 years. 54 years, as if that's not enough in and of itself. But the first 10 years of his ministry, the people didn't really want him there. He knew he was supposed to be there. He knew God had called him there. But for 10 years, they locked the pews. The, the pews were locked on Sunday morning. And the people had to sit in the aisles or corners and he kept going. He endured. And after those 10 years, of, you know, that was restricted. They weren't allowed to do that anymore. But can you imagine uh, the endurance and the faith? And, and the article I was reading about just talked about you know, what, what got him through. And it said he adored Christ. He meditated on the Word. He was a deep man of prayer. And that helped him to endure and persevere as he preached the Word as believers, we often talk about in our Christian life, You see this in Paul's letters, right? To, to put off various vices and to put on certain virtues. And as we consider this morning the importance of putting off complaining and grumbling, what is it that we need to put on? What do we need to clothe ourselves with? We've talked about patience and faith. And, and think about you know, patience being what faith empowers We need faith. God, give us faith to endure, to be patient, to wait on you. But let me also suggest encouragement. Let's put on encouragement. Consider the stark contrast between a complaining, grumbling spirit and an encouraging one. Encouragement builds up. Complaining tears down. It stirs up division. Encouragement. Helps move the church forward on her mission. Complaining makes it difficult for her to carry out her mission. The author of Hebrews tells us to provoke one another to love and good works. And as we begin a new church year, as we continue to face various challenges and trials in our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church, I really think, I believe we need to be reminded of this truth again and commit with God's help to consistently, regularly encourage one another. I need this. Your other pastors, they need this. We're prone to discouragement. Pastoral ministry is very much prone to discouragement. It's a key tactic of the evil one. Recently, a member offered a word of encouragement related to the pastor's love and their passion for the Word of God and the spill effect that's just happening in their own life. This was encouraging. It provoked me to love and good works. As we consider this community, the people around us, the many lost and destined for eternal separation from God if they don't come to know Christ, we need to provoke one another. We have got to stir one another up to leverage our gifts, our talents, our resources, everything in our lives for the purpose of getting the lost Christ. Friends, we're at war. We are at war. We talk about this a lot. We're not on a cruise ship. As great as cruise ships are, right? Right now, it's we're on a battleship. We're at war with the powers of darkness that keep people in their sin. And if during a break from battle, the soldiers are fighting with one another and they're stealing supplies from one another and going back out to battle, they're just... Devastate, and they quickly lose, right? But what about if during a break from the action they're sharing water and food and ammo and they're attending to the medical needs? Isn't there such a greater chance of success when the battle resumes? Our gathered times together, they're rest from battle. We fill up, we recharge, and we equip one another, and then we go back out. We're a church gathered so that a church scattered. We have to see our recreation soccer, our umpiring, coaching, our gym memberships, our running clubs, our neighborhoods, swimming pools, our workplaces, everything in our lives as opportunities. They're opportunities. They're opportunities where we get to connect with people. And our greatest purpose is finding joy and satisfaction in God. And then helping with God's help to get others to that same joy and same satisfaction. Because we believe that any real joy and lasting contentment is only found in Him and Him alone. But what can so often happen in our lives is, is we can enjoy the various things, good things God's given to us, good gifts to us as children, and yet we don't see them as opportunities. We don't see them as opportunities for getting others to where ultimate joy and delight is found in God Himself. We enjoy them for for what they give to us at times, but we don't take it that step further and experience that deep burden Uh, for those whose only joy may be the recreation soccer or, or the swimming pool or the dance club. Again, they're good things, but what if that's their only joy? It's temporal, right? It's fading. It's not going to last. But we have the opportunity to be used by God to get them to the One who will provide lasting joy, satisfaction, delight. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have the option of just leaving it with the opportunities. We've got to encourage one another, push one another, to leverage those various points of connection in our lives for the purpose of getting the gospel to those who are lost. As I close, let's return back our takeaway point. God desires that we, His children, trust Him and find our satisfaction in Him. As we think about our mission, that's what we're to be about with other people, to be used by God to help them to see that He... He's the only one. Nothing else that they're trying to to bank on on the horizontal is going to fulfill. It's a void and it'll ultimately leave them longing and discontent. Let's get them to God when we pray.